Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with me, Dr. Aparajita Jidigunta. Today, I have the privilege and pleasure of talking to Coach Janita Liu. Coach Janita Liu helps women say bye to burnout. As a certified transformational life coach, workshop facilitator, speaker, and Reiki practitioner, she shows women and girls how to tune in and reconnect to their courage, power, and strength so that they can stop sacrificing themselves and start transforming what's in their hearts into reality. You can follow her at Coach Anita on social media and learn more about her life hacks and services at coachanita.com slash hacks. She's a certified transformational life coach accredited through the International Coaching Federation and has an MPA in nonprofit management and policy from NYU's Wagner School of Public Service. Her career path includes local and international community building events for families, college success programs for first-generation students, and professional salsa dancing. Oh, that's fun. Shanita is committed to sharing the benefits of coaching with the South Asian diaspora and serves as a contributor to various global platforms, including Brown Girl Magazine and Manmukti. So it is truly my pleasure and honor to welcome Coach Shanita Liu to this podcast today. Hi, Coach Shanita. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You're so welcome. You know, as I came to meet you and know you through Manmukti, and then we started having these conversations, I knew that if I ever did a podcast, I had to have you on it. And so I am so thrilled and honored that, you know, you said yes, when I sent you the invitation and you responded really immediately, which was so, I was so grateful for it. So thank you again for being here. Thank you for holding space for this conversation. I'm excited to dig in. Yeah. I know, you know, a little bit about your backstory, and I feel like your backstory would be especially compelling for our listeners in this space. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing some of it uh, as far as you're comfortable. Yeah, for sure. So in 2015, I suffered from major burnout. I live in New York, so I was on my way to work on the New York City subway, and I started sobbing. It wasn't cute. And I was just a hot mess. And I thought to myself, oh, no, like, (laughs) stuff is this has gone to way too far. And this sort of workhorse mentality and these behaviors that I've just been exhibiting all of these years in my personal life, my professional life, this is not working for me anymore. And it was a wake up call for me to finally do something about it and not just put it off or brush it under the rug. And so that was the year when I had all of these major life changes, I decided to leave my job, even though it was a really nice title and I'd worked really hard to get there. I knew that that was a huge source of the burnout. As soon as I quit my job, I got pregnant and then I was unemployed for 15 months. And then my husband and I put in an offer for a house. And then I was like, oh, let me go start a coaching practice, even though I had no clue about business. Uh, that is so relatable uh, because uh, that's pretty much my trajectory too. <laughs> yeah, which is why I think we clicked so so well so soon because I think you and I both get it. You know, when transformation happens, boom, it happens, and you know, life happens at the same time. So I think in our heads we kind of want to neatly package and plan all of these carefully thought out career and and personal steps that we're going to take, and that's just not how it happens. That's not how it unfolds. And, you know, I'd been burning out pretty much in every category of my life up until then. But I think at that point, I was 
like, all right, coaching was something that actually helped me reconnect to this courage and this power and the strength that I forgot I even had because I'd been so busy doing everything for everyone else. And so when I got to connect to my own power, I was like, oh man, like I could probably support other women and girls doing this too. And just be, you know, I'm Indo-Guyanese American. So just being part of the South Asian diaspora and seeing other women going through it too, I was just like, all right, like we've got to do something about this once and for all. I completely agree. I, oh my gosh, uh, you, I could not have said it better myself. Now I'm curious what being women in the South Asian diaspora, it's so true that we see so many of the women in our communities focused on giving so much of themselves to others without focusing on their inner fire and this sort of well of energy uh, and replenishing it. Where do you think, you know, in your opinion, where does that come from? Oh, yeah, I have a lot of opinions about this. But ultimately, (laughs) (laughs) we could could talk for hours about this one. But um, essentially, you know, it didn't occur to me when burnout happens to me the first time around. But I think it's because we come from a legacy of sacrifice. Many of us come from colonization, patriarchy. In my case, there was indentured servitude in the Caribbean. And so, you know, all of the generations before us were taught to put your heads down, shut up, play small, don't do anything that's going to ruffle anyone else's feathers because it's not safe. You could literally Mm -hmm. lose your life and do whatever you have to do to protect your family and your children and your reputation because those are the things that are going to live on. And so I think the reason why we burn out till this day, even though you can Google self-care practices galore and, you know, find resources out there is simply because it's in our DNA and we don't have a lot of role models or exemplars in our life to show us what taking care of ourselves looks like. And so, you know, there's that saying that kids don't do what you tell them, they do what you do. And I Mm -hmm. think that's exactly what we do. We do what we saw our mothers and our grandmothers and our aunties did. And Mm -hmm. even though we're part of this kind of generation in this wake up call to do something about it, it's still hard to shake off mindsets and behaviors that are literally ingrained into generations before us. That's really interesting because, you know, you're, we speak the same language when we talk about mindset and transformations. I want to take a very short break right now. And when we come back, we're going to continue this conversation on mindsets and transformation and what the potential of that is for the women in our community. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible with Coach Shanita Liu. And in the previous segment, we were talking about a little bit about her history and it led to the status quo in the South Asian diaspora and the idea that this is our mindset. It's one of sacrifice and it's sort of in our DNA. So Coach Shanita, what I want to ask you is what do you think set you and me apart to where we were like, no, 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 this can't go on. This has to change. Yeah, I think part of it has to do with our individual fire. Uh, I know you got a lot of fire in you and I'm a Sagittarian. And so I have a lot of fire in me too. (laughs) But um, 
I think part of it is exposure and access to information. So I think the universe sent two really special people my way back in 2014 when I had already been on the burnout train, but I was still going through the motions simply because I was scared to make any moves that would change my financial security and my sense of identity. Because, you know, identity has a lot to do with the occupations and professions that we pursue. And these two people who are wonderful and powerful women, both women of color, told me about a coaching program and said, we think this would be good for you. And I was like, it's no coincidence that two women from very different parts of my life have introduced me to a program called Coaching for Transformation that would help me dig deeper into the parts of myself that I was never taught to acknowledge. And I remember thinking, you know what, I got to give this a try because I'm being called to this. And once I went to the info session and I experienced a coaching session myself, it opened me up to this whole new modality and world of what it means to tune in. And once I started my coaching program, oh my goodness, like, you know, the angels were singing, like it it was, it was so much information that I had access to within, but I wouldn't have been able to do that and do it effectively had I not had exposure and access to even what coaching was. It's it's very interesting that you say that because for me with my background, you know, as in being a psychologist, I was so exposed to mental health, but it was always from the pathology standpoint and always from the problem standpoint. And you're so trained to think in that specific way to identify problems. What coaching gave to me was focus on the solution that makes sense to the individual, you know, that you can't pigeonhole individuals into these statistical boxes based on like the severity of their problems and all of that. That's a different realm of treatment. That's a different modality completely. Whereas this, you're actually empowering people to do something with them, to give them back the agency that they need over all of these situations in their life, positive or negative. And so for me, when similar to you, when I was first called to the coaching profession and I went through those first few stages, my mind was blown at how much perspective shift happened that I'd never would have considered otherwise. I love that you talked about it being like problem focused because you're right. That's what we do. Like, what's the problem? Give me the prescription. Let's do the overnight fix. And transformation doesn't happen overnight. It's the small action steps that you take over time. And it's not about problems. It's about possibilities. How do I picture what's possible for me and my future? And it comes from a place of you being resourceful and whole and that you're not broken and there isn't something wrong with you and that I have everything I need inside of me to move the needle and make this goal or whatever it is happen. I love that you said move the needle um, because that directly applies to what I always put out there on all of my diversity and inclusion work. And you even said it in the form that I asked you to send to me with the answers that what we need to do is move the needle from diversity to inclusion. What role do you see coaching, this transformational coaching, mindset coaching, what we do, what role do you see it playing within? in our diaspora, in helping our communities understand that this is something they need to go through. This is something they should invest in themselves so that they can be better about inclusion. Yeah. 
I think that exposure and access are key. You know, coaching has been accessed primarily or historically by upper class white populations. And, you know, populations of color, especially the South Asian diaspora, that's just not something that anyone really knows too much about. And you know how it goes. There's already so much taboo and stigma around mental health and just personal wellness overall and so much guilt and shame that is tied to those topics. Mm -hmm. And there's definitely been a shift, right? There's sort of like this breaking open that's happening where people are finally saying enough Mm -hmm. is enough. We need to have the conversations and we need to seek the resources that are going to address that. But for me, like on the inclusion piece of it, why can't we have access to that? Why can't we pursue coaching or any of these other modalities to support our well-being? We're humans too. Like we all deserve this. And I know for sure that South Asian sometimes feel more comfortable with South Asians, right? Some working with someone who gets it, who gets your experience, who gets the history that you come from. So I feel like coaching, especially coming from people like us can help. And so if another brown person sees one brown person going, oh man, coaching worked for them, it could help me too. Sounds like the infomercial, right? But sometimes you just need to see, you need to hear the testimonial and you need to see in your face what that transformation did for someone else, for someone to say, you know what, in our community, we can cultivate the courage to say no to these things that no longer serve us so that we can finally have lives where we are not breaking our backs and doing for others in these very like excruciating ways just to get through, right? Like we can actually live our lives and we can finally break away from a lot of those historical shackles that are still holding us down today. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to take a very short break, but when we come back, I'd love to continue the conversation about these historical shackles and talk specifically about your services and you know offerings uh, to people and how you help them transform themselves and break away from them. So hold on, we'll be right back. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. And I'm having a lovely chat with Coach Shanita Liu. Coach Shanita, what I want to ask you is, well, first of all, let's start off for those who may not know, you know, who are listening in. What is it that you do as a transformational life coach to help people break away from their historical shackles? Yeah, it's a great question. And sometimes as coaches, I think we just assume people know what coaching is, but where everyone's still learning. And so the definition that I've come to is for me, I'm helping women beat burnout, but I'm really helping to teach the mindsets and the behaviors and the strategies to make a shift from something that's not working for you into your transformation into a life that feels better for you. Now, I also know that you're a Reiki practitioner, and I have to admit, I know very little about what that even means and how that fully embeds itself into your space as you know, a transformational coach. Can you tell me more about that? Absolutely. Reiki in a nutshell is an ancient Japanese healing art and it's used for relieving stress, for relaxation, and it's meant to 
improve your health and promote healing. It's not affiliated with any faith or religion. It's natural, it's simple, and it's just a very safe method of spiritual healing that anyone and everyone can use. There is a doctor named Mikao Usui who was the founder of this Reiki system, and he passed on this knowledge and wisdom to various teachers over the years and that has become this sort of spiritually guided life energy that a lot of practitioners use to support people. And so how does it play into the actual coaching stuff? To tell you the truth, I didn't have a clue a few years back. I attended a retreat. Um, My husband is an army veteran and I'm a veteran spouse. And so I met these Reiki masters who were giving Reiki to us as a way to promote our own wellness. And I was like, oh, okay, this is pretty cool. And didn't think anything of it. And sort of the way coaching found me and found us, Reiki found me a few years later, and I kept coming back to it. And I I was like, well, what's the connection here? Okay, this is energy healing. And I was like, wait a minute, ding, ding, ding. I help people beat burnout. And burnout is all about you not having energy, being so spent and so depleted because you've given your energy to everyone and everything else except for yourself. And so the Reiki was kind of a way to kind of go hand in hand with the coaching stuff because it was like, okay, well, here's a way to provide some real-time relief. Here's how we can relieve some stress and it's accessible for everyone. And, you know, South Asians have actually been practicing Reiki for generations, you know? So like many alternative methods of wellness and healing, Reiki is just one of those. It sort of goes hand in hand with promoting that peace and that harmony that I think a lot of us are looking for, especially if we are trying to combat burnout. Nice. So how is is this more of like a, a body tuning methodology or is it like, you know, to me, it almost sounds like there's body work that's being done, but it's being done in order to align mind, body, spirit. Am I on the right track with that? You totally are. Um, You know, for anyone who takes yoga, you know that what we're doing is paying attention to our chakras, Mm -hmm. right? Our energy body within. And that's really what Reiki is doing. So I'm definitely more attuned to my own energy and awareness of why my chakras are important because I knew they were there. I just didn't pay attention to them. And I didn't understand how, how, how's this energy within playing a role with regards to my energy that I'm putting out. And so you're right. It is body work. And when you, are at either a Reiki level one, two, or three training, there are three kind of levels total, you can perform Reiki on someone else. And you could do chair Reiki or table Reiki where someone's either laying down or sitting in a chair and you're just putting your hands on them or next to them and channeling the spiritual life energy force from above and you're using it to heal. There are actually a lot of cancer patients who enjoy Reiki or, you know, there are a lot of stories and testimonials out there about like Reiki actually healing patients and tumors disappearing and things like that. And so because I don't have like a office space per se, I do long distance Reiki. So just the way we do coaching virtually over Mm -hmm. the phone, I can actually perform Reiki on someone long distance. I would just need their permission, but it's body work in a way that I'm just letting the client know, hey, relax, you know, for the next 30 minutes or whatever it is, I'll be sending you Reiki. And, you know, that's for them the benefit of the client that they'll be feeling it 
in real time and the benefits of it thereafter. You just taught me something because I had no idea that you could do the um, Reiki work virtually over the phone, just like we would coach. But then to be fair, until I got into the coaching space, I didn't realize we could coach virtually. Yeah, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And I think until you get to enter these spaces and have access again, right, it's about exposure and having access to the information, then you know, oh, man, I don't got to get up and go anywhere to get some Reiki today or to hop on a call with a transformational coach. Great. That's even better, you know, because we're so busy, because we have our jobs and our families and we're on the go already. Mm -hmm. Having these modalities on sort of a virtual level, I think, is really helpful. And I don't even have to be on the phone. All I have to do is say, hey, AJ, I'm going to, you know, from 10 to 1030, we're all set. You just hang tight, sit, get in a comfortable space. And between that time, I'll be sending you Reiki. So we don't even have to be on the phone. I just, you know, we just have to make sure that we set that up. That raises a really interesting question or point in my head that what we are doing is actually increasing accessibility to our communities and to, you know, other women and men out there. Yet on the coaching side, we are also dealing with, you know, this sort of resistance from our community. And I think that actually plays a huge role in the way we are presenting ourselves in the diversity and inclusion space. I'd love to chat with you more about that and what you see your future holding right after this very short break. So hold on. We'll be right back. And we're back on Leg Upward Inclusion Spotlight, Making the Invisible Visible. And we are chatting with Coach Shanita Liu, who is of Indo-Guyanese descent and a fellow South Asian coach. Well, coach of South Asian heritage. And one of the things that you and I spoke about offline, Coach Anita, is this continued resistance we are meeting from our own communities where we are trying to increase access to better mental well-being and physical you know, well-being. And we're trying to create all of these initiatives and this huge movement towards breaking the stigma, towards breaking the stereotypes of mental well-being you know, sort of being on the back burner of our lives and all of this. What do you think is the solution to getting through that resistance? Um, I think the solution is we just got to hear it over and over and over and over and over again. I think just as human beings, we're so caught up in all our stuff that it takes that repetitive exposure and access for people to really go, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. These people are on to something like this. Oh, maybe I should pay attention. And I think that's how it goes for a lot of different movements that have happened in the wellness space in general. It's taken people like decades to go to learn like, oh, I got to eat my vegetables. Oh, I should probably walk. I should probably exercise. Right. So I think people have to hear it enough. I also do think, and you could tell me what you think about this, but after kind of deep diving into this for a while, I realized that in the South Asian diaspora especially, there is a huge reverence for anyone who's got a title or is in a certain type of profession, right? So if you're a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer or someone who's won the Nobel Peace Prize, right? People are 
are waking up. People are paying attention immediately. Now, I'm not a doctor. I don't have any medical training. I have a certification along with life experience, but people aren't paying attention to me the way they are paying attention to these very historically revered positions in society, mm -hmm. right? And so I'm curious to know about your thoughts on that because I also feel like if people haven't heard, people know what a doctor is, they can save your life. People know what a lawyer is, they can help you with your legal matters. And so coaching, not only do people not know about it, but I think they're afraid mm -hmm. to trust and they don't have this like reverence for wellness professionals because of the stigma and taboo. So I think that's part of what adds to the challenges that come along. So I'm. how do you feel about that? I think you're onto something there because what I've always felt about it, you know, when you look at it historically, as you mentioned in, you know, our previous segment, we come from an overall umbrella culture that has created many of the alternative wellness movements that are thriving in upper class white communities today, you know, yoga, Ayurveda, homeopathy, like mm -hmm. all of these things, you know, and I think Reiki is more Eastern, if I'm not mistaken, like Eastern Asian, but I'm not 100% sure on that because I did very limited research so far, but I'm going to go do more. But getting back to my point, I think somewhere along the way, the shift from these alternative wellness movements happened towards what we now know as quote unquote quote, traditional wellness, right? And for me, this shift happened with colonialism. Mm -hmm. and with those invasions. And that was the only right way to do it because all of these other alternative methods are strange or odd or not to be believed because they only rely on anecdotal evidence. But it's, I think it's, you know, when you have like thousands of cases of anecdotal evidence, there's a case to be made about that. Right. You know, and also, historically, if you think about it, all of these gurukuls and ashrams and madrasas, they were based on the, the gurus there or the teachers or the shamans there, whatever quote unquote title you want to put on them. They got to those positions not because of the titles. They actually got the titles because they were so deeply introspective and because mm. they were so self-aware, because they were so far along on the journey of self-discovery and realizing how much looking within ourselves translates to what we put out into the world. And I think that is where modern disconnect is happening, is that this resistance is happening because we've been so conditioned to not look within ourselves that the very idea of growth being completely dependent on us is terrifying because then we have nobody else to blame. Ooh, that is powerful that we have no one else to blame. Yeah, because we're seeking every other expert in the field for something that, you know, if we just do our work, mm -hmm. we could experience the transformation and solve the problem and then some for ourselves. Yeah. And I see this a lot with patients on pharmaceuticals, right? They get drug prescribed and then they either develop a tolerance to it or, you know, or desensitize or it stops working. They need to up their dosage or down their dosage. And then it's like, oh, well, it's the drug that's the problem. 
Mm-hmm. Or is it mm-hmm. like, well, what happened within you that that's the desensitization that happened? How much have you used that as a crutch or an excuse? And, you know, when I say this, I know I'm going to be kind of people are going to come at me that like, you know, I'm, I'm against pharmaceuticals and I'm truly not. But I do also believe that we are so used to this prescription drug culture. And we see it in the opioid crisis, you know, we see it in all of these other epidemics like pharmaceutical epidemics that have happened with Valium and Xanax, you know, back in the 1950s and then opioids. Now you become so used to the drug being the solution that the idea that no, wait, you're the one in control. You can make this needle move towards your growth and development is truly terrifying because then there's nothing else. Like if something doesn't work. And if you're the kind of person who cannot learn from that failure and reframe that failure, that's a big hit to take. I think you're so right. Everything you're saying is so real. And I agree with you. And I'll add that you know, what is that? What makes the scary stuff all about? What is that about? That's about the perfectionist culture that we have, especially in the South Asian diaspora. That's about, I can't get it wrong. I can't afford to get it wrong. Someone's going to judge me and shame me. And I'm going to be crying my eyes out because I just didn't get it right. Mm-hmm. And and I think that that the sort of people pleasing behavior that is sort of carried down from generation to generation, I must do what my parents told me, I must do what society tells me what to do is what's getting in the way. It's what's really cramping our style and not allowing us to really believe that we are enough to dig deep into inside of ourselves to change our careers or to heal ourselves from this chronic illness or to do whatever it is we're trying to do. Mm-hmm. It's too scary because we're too scared of what other people think. And I think that's a lot of baloney. <laughs> I think we need to change that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you're onto something there about being, you know, that judgment about that. I think Hassan Minaj said it, right? Look, Yakahenge. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much of that. And I actually put out a blog post about it a while ago. And oh man, we'll chat offline and I'll tell you what happened with that. It was a circus. It was a three ring circus. But you know, I think you're right. I think the other point you raised is that we have to break that mentality uh, for our sakes and then also for the sake of our kids. You know, I know you have toddlers and I have a toddler too. And the idea of that having to go through what we did, that's actually what terrifies me more than anybody else's judgment. Oh, yeah. AJ, like, actually, that's the reason why I do what I do. And I felt like I became more empowered. Like the timing was no coincidence that I became a coach as soon as I got pregnant, because like the mama warrior inside of me came out. And I realized like, man, if I don't do something about this now, I will be a demonstration of these bad behaviors and mindsets to my children. I will teach my son and I will especially teach my daughter how to go into life without tuning in. And the She's just going to go through all the stuff that I went through, that my mother went through, that my grandmother went through, that we saw all the mothers in our generations do. And, you know, burnout is one of those things that kind of helps people hit a wall and maybe get a wake up call. But I think parenthood's another one of those things. So for anyone who's listening, maybe you don't have a kid right now, but man, oh man, when you think about your legacy and what you're going to leave with your kids, you have to keep that wellness stuff in mind because they're going to be seeking validation from everyone and everything else but them own selves if you don't show them and demonstrate to them what else is possible. Oh, that's so powerful. That is so powerful. I really, really hope everyone listening to this episode 
takes that message home, if there's one takeaway, let this be that. Think about your legacy of wellness and think about what you are doing to your future genetic line if you don't invest in yourself to transform into what you want to be. And one thing I would also add here is that, you know, there are a lot of people, especially South Asians, who have grown their careers and are, you know, becoming CEOs and taking on leadership positions in the workforce. And so I would say coaching isn't completely out of the picture. I think that a lot of folks in those spaces have access to coaching, but it's very much career coaching, professional coaching. It's very transactional. How I'm, Okay, I'm a manager now. How am I going to be a director level? How am I going to be the CMO? And so I think there's this sort of corporate ladder spectrum of coaching that people are starting to say okay to, right? There's some buy-in there about, oh, this coaching is going to help me get promoted and make more money. Great. I'll go with that kind of coaching. But one thing I found, and you can tell me if you've experienced this too, is that when I talk about the wellness piece of coaching, that my coaching isn't necessarily going to help you, you know, go from this title to this title, but that this coaching can do so much more other things. There's a little bit of resistance there. And I'm just curious to know, do you feel that too? Absolutely. People's eyes like gloss over the second I bring up the wellness and the mindset component <laughs> of it. You know, like that's that's always been where I lose them because the second I start talking about, oh, well, how are you going to get into leadership within the medical space? Or how are you going to manage you know, 15 other doctors? What do you need in terms of leadership skills and management skills to do that? People's eyes light up. And then I'm when I, the second oh. I say, who are you being in that space? Bam, shut down. Shut down. <laughs> And it's, I believe yeah, it. and it's gotten to the point where you know it's coming and you watch the <laughs> shutdown happen and you're like, okay, AJ, don't laugh. Don't laugh because you're coaching and, you know, you still want to, you know, you still want to help them. But there is a part of me that just wants to chuckle and just even before it happens, be like, listen, I know you're going to shut down. So maybe you should just give it a few extra seconds before you do that. <laughs> Uh, you know, so interesting that you share that. And I'm laughing out loud here. But the truth is that they're shutting down because they are scared. Don't talk to me about how I show up in the world and show up for myself. I could barely get my outfit on and go to work and get my hair combed. You know, yep. people are just trying to trying to get through their lives. And oh, my goodness, please don't give me one more thing to think about inner work. I can barely make it a yoga class. You know, like people are people are spent. And I think it go. it's like a cycle, right? It's like you're doing too much, thinking about so hard, you know, on what other people think of you that now you don't even have any energy to expend on yourself. You can't even make room for the thought that, man, if we just do a few coaching sessions, I could be in a so much mm -hmm. better place. Or I could have all of those fears and inner critics that keep cramping my style finally come out of the way. I could finally do something about that. So it's it's hard. It's a really tough situation. But to your point about the, the inclusion and the conversation, I think we just need to keep talking. Like, no one's going to shut me up about this. Like, I'm going to keep, you know, I think you should continue to keep putting the great content that you put out there because that's what's really going to help people go, oh, wait a minute. I'm, you know, at some point, everyone's going to get their wake up call. I think so, too. So Coach Shanita, as we wrap up, is there anything you would like to say to our listeners in terms of well-being, in terms of transformations? I mean, you've already given me such great, you've given me such great advice in addition to the listeners, but is there any final message you'd like to say? Hmm. 
I guess I would say that you deserve to put yourself first because you matter. You matter. Your needs matter. You matter. And it's okay. That's allowed. That is a beautiful place to end this particular conversation. Coach Anita, you and I are going to be having several more conversations about this in the future. So I look forward to those. Me too. Yeah. So thank you so much for being here and we will sign off now. Thank you. And thank you to all my listeners. This was a lovely chat with Coach Shanita Liu, who's a transformational life coach and a Reiki practitioner. I will share all her details in the description. So if you would like to contact her and work with her, I highly, highly recommend it. And we will be back with another great episode. Until then, I hope you work on yourself towards your dreams and towards inclusion. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.